Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstad, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello and welcome back to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Altstan, and I am here again with Keith Myers. Hello, Keith. Hey, how's it going? It's going really well. It's been uh, it's been a couple of weeks. We we were going to record, and then things got really busy and hectic, and we decided not to record before I I left for a little while. And now I'm back, and I'm excited because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Well, before and, we talk uh, about all this stuff that we have to talk about, we need to talk about where you went because let's face it, I wish that I had gone where you went. Oh man, I tell you. So the you know everyone knows the Northwest. You know, after three or four months of rain and clouds, it kind of sucks. And so my actually, we planned this trip like thirteen months ago, and we kind of lucked out in the timing because. It has sucked for a while, and so we decided to get out of Dodge and go to Maui. So we were in Maui for 10 days. And, okay, start. I feel like these like pellets and stuff like coming at me through my microphone <laughs> as people are throwing their stuff at me because they're jealous. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been rainy and nasty here for months, and you're chilling in, in paradise yeah, I, and having, and I, having I, a good time drinking my ties and... I barely saw a cloud. I mean, oh. I'm just going to be honest. It was like, it was totally perfect weather. It was crazy. You know, the, the surf was a little, um, was a little rough because the trade winds had been up and, uh, um, but it made for great boogie boarding and my son and, uh, we have a foreign exchange student and wife and, and myself, we were just, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. I have to say. Well, I'm officially jealous, so let's uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and, and jump into uh, some of the stuff that we got to talk about because there is a lot to talk about this week. Well, well, there's definitely a lot to talk about. Today is going to be our kind of a free agency wrap show, and I think the best way to do it is really just kind of go down the names and talk briefly about uh, what the intention is for the the team to bring those guys in what they mean for the competition at their respective um, spots and what it does, you know, at, at the end of this podcast, uh, kind of setting up for um, the draft on what our remaining needs might be and how we might address those. So I think without further ado, let's just go down the, the player list real quick and start with uh, Jokel at left tackle. I know we've talked about him uh, a little bit, so we won't spend too much time on him. But um, you know, recently they've talked about the fact that, that they will look at him first at left tackle. So we kind of know where he's going to fit in on that line. What are your thoughts? Well, the thing about Jokel is if he hadn't been the second overall pick in the draft – uh, people would look at him and go, you know, he's he's not bad. He's not great by any means, but he's not bad. It's a good pickup. But because he was the second overall pick in the draft and everyone believed that he was going to be this, like, star um, offensive, you know, left tackle uh, coming out of college, and then he wasn't that. He never lived up to that. There's this belief that he's just a really bad player, and he's not a really bad player. He's not a great player, but he's a good player. Um, and it's just that his, uh, the opinion of him is shaded by the fact that he was kind of a disappointment based on his draft position. So I think actually think it's a good pickup. I think, let's face it, even if he is just average and, or, you know, not even average, but slightly below average, he's still a massive upgrade over anything that Seattle had last year. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I was reading some stuff that Rob Staten had posted and he felt like, uh, Luke would be a completely serviceable left tackle on 90% of the games, but when he faced superior edge rushing talent like J.J. Watt, for example, uh, where I think he gave up four sacks against Watt in one game, um, that he would that, that his deficiencies would show 
um, with that kick step and, and uh, keeping up with really uber athletic guys. Yeah. I mean, but those same guys are going to dominate the George Fant and Gary Gilliam and uh, Bradley souls of the world. I mean, those guys were already dominating the Seahawks. So uh, I don't see that as, see, it's the thing is I don't see that as, uh, as much of a problem because of, he's still an upgrade. It's just against the really good players that he's going to get beat, but those really good players were going to beat whoever else is on the roster too. Well, and so. I, and I totally agree with that. And I think that the Seahawks can game plan a little bit around that. Um, and, and it makes it a little easier to, to face guys like that when you know your limitations. And if he's good to go for 90% of the, uh, the, the games, um, I think I'm I'm okay with that because it was it's definitely better than it was last year and I think you know Russell Wilson being who he is um and we definitely want to protect him because he's he's our most valuable asset but at the same time he really does allow our offensive line to to make a few mistakes now and again and escape that pressure especially out the backside I mean his spin uh, Russell Wilson's spin move outside is probably second to none and you know we're certainly going to give up some sacks but i don't think it's going to be any worse than last year for sure oh it should definitely be better than last year just they're bringing back the same five guys and on top of that bringing in uh, additional talent so it, there to me it, it can't get worse than last year it can only get better and i Let's think it was a part of that well, let's talk about the the other guy they brought in, um, Ode Obushi. Um, he had previously uh, been with Texas. Uh, he's kind of known as a, a better pass blocker than a than a run blocker. But you know, in our offense, he's going to be asked to to run block pretty well in our zone scheme. How do you think he fits? Well, it's interesting because he, he's coming from Houston, which runs the Alex Gibbs zone scheme still. Um, and that what that means is that they run a lot more outside zone. Seattle runs a lot more inside zone. So it's 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 just a different look, but it's still zone. They still look at some of the same ideas. The targeting rules are uh, very similar, if not the same, on most plays. And so he knows what he's doing. He's coming in with scheme knowledge. He doesn't have to learn that part. And I think that is that that's a big part of why they brought him in. Unfortunately. The, the problems that he has are, let's just say he looks like someone who's been coached by Tom Cable for a long time. He uh, drops his head when he's, you know, uh, getting to the second level on a linebacker, which means he's not keeping his head up and the, will tend to miss the linebacker and that kind of stuff. He, um, you know, doesn't use his hands well, so he get his blocks get shed fairly easy in the run game. So they're there are some technique flaws that unfortunately are the same flaws that Tom Cable doesn't seem to teach around. Um, he tends to teach other aspects. And so I don't see him being great. Uh, but the big thing about, about Abushi is what it's done. What it'll do is it'll free up uh, a Fetty to move to right tackle because he's going to come in and he'll be a veteran president, someone who knows the scheme. He's not going to be great. He might be okay, uh, but that's, I mean, Effetti was bad last year. So getting someone who's average to below average at that spot's actually an upgrade, and it does free Effetti to move outside to his more natural position at right tackle. Well, you know, and if you listen to John Snyder talk a little bit this last week, he had talked about a couple of things. He had mentioned that Obushi really kind of flashed in in the fact that he was uh, an efficient guy and he pointed to this Theo Epstein stuff this analytics type methodology that the Seahawks use to identify players and capabilities and and scheme fit and he was really excited about him and I'm and and, and conversely he had mentioned uh, Afedi being able to to play right tackle and he would get an opportunity to do that. So it seems like the, the offensive line is kind of solidifying a little bit, um, which is a good thing pre-draft because you never know what you're going to get out of the draft. You know, when you, when you go into the draft, 
it's not a great draft for offensive linemen, but you just never know how that draft is going to fall for you. And, you know, if Bowles falls at 26 or maybe he's sitting there at 24 and the Seahawks decide, you know, we got to have this guy and they go up and get him. Or um, somebody's sitting there in the second round that they feel like can really come in and add competition um, like uh, Moten. Um, mm-hmm. Then uh, they may end up with a with a guy, a high draft pick in the line to come in and, and compete with a guy like Obushi. And Obushi could be one of those guys that comes in and, you know, is a, is a quality backup. And they still have... Odiambo as well that they want to have come in and compete on the left side. So, I mean, I feel a lot better this off season than I did last off season with the additions we had last year. I think it's a completely different mix, and and I feel better about it. Yeah, uh, Webb and Soul were not good pickups at all, and we kind of knew that going in. I mean, they these were guys who had played, they had experience, and they were bad um, in their previous ten years. So. We kind of knew, you know, we're we're depending on players who were bad with their previous team to be better with their new team, and that's never a good recipe. Uh, in this case, we're depending on guys who were, you know, they weren't great with their previous team, but they weren't terrible either. They were they were good to average players uh, before, and that's just a completely different level of uh, just how comfortable we can be with going in, and the fact that they're not re- they're. They're, they didn't lose anybody from last year's uh, group. So, the well, word, how do you, how do the, you feel about Gilliam going well, forward? I, I'm actually I'm okay with the fact that he is gonna have to earn some playing time. I, I, the talent is there; he can play, um, but he has to stay healthy. He's got to continue to keep the effort level up and you know the physicality during the game. Uh, he's just got to continue to develop. And if he doesn't do that, well, Fant is sitting there, Adiambo's sitting there, um, Fetty's going to be challenging him at right tackle this year. So there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of fallback options, which they did. There wasn't any last year. It was it really was you know Gilliam had to be a starter at one of the two tackle spots, and when he didn't live up to to that, the the Seahawks the were whole line screwed. suffered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So. Um, putting the offensive line to bed. Let's stay with the offensive side of the ball, and I'll just run through a few players here all together, and we can kind of go through them as a group. So uh, we had Eddie Lacy coming on, which to me, I really like that signing. I mean, he he's going to add some power and attitude to the to the running game. Um, I like that. Uh, Blair Walsh looks like he's got at least the inside track to be our new kicker. Not sure exactly how I feel about that, but we do have some um, some competition at that spot where they signed uh, John Lunsford. They might pick up a kicker also in the in uh, undrafted free agency um, in the, on the backside of the draft. Um, and we re-signed Wilson uh, at tight end for a one-year deal. So talk about those moves. I think that's kind of pretty much what we did on offense. Yeah, well, it's, if you go look at the kickers, I mean, the the team decided to move on from Hauschka and save some money because he was looking at, uh, or he was apparently was asking for about $4 million a year uh, to stay. And after, he, I mean, he had an off year last year, and so they, were, they didn't want to use up that much cap space on a, on a guy who was coming off a bad year. And, and he had a good deal. He sent a good deal with Buffalo. I mean, it was uh, like a three-year three, three year deal with a bump in salary from what he was making before. And I, you're right. I don't think the Seahawks wanted to go there. Yeah. So Walsh was a nice, easy uh, veteran pickup, a guy who had had a lot of success earlier in his career and just hasn't had that same success recently. But he he's had it. So they, they think the talent's there, and they're hoping a change of – uh, venue can help him get his confidence back and be okay. And they got they got him for you know a fraction of what uh, Hauschka got, and on a one year deal with very little guaranteed. So if they if one of the uh, kids comes in and beats him, then they can cut him. And it's so it's, it's a really low risk thing. Uh, Lunsford and yeah, there'll be a rookie involved, uh, an undrafted player will come in and th- and there'll be a there'll be a competition throughout uh, the summer and and in a training camp and one of the guys will will win and it'll come down to just consistency both on the practice field and and in the preseason and 
Um, also how deep they get kickoffs and regularly get them through the end zone and, and that kind of stuff. So that's a, it'll be a situation for us to watch as the summer progresses, but I don't think that it's anything that we need to stress about because I think the team's not sold on Walsh, who was bad the last couple of years in in Minnesota. They have other options. You know, it's funny with the kicker situation is that you, when you have a good kicker, you just literally don't worry about it, right? You go into camp, you know your kicker's going to be, you know what the efficiency is going to be, and how many kicks he's probably going to make, and he might win the couple games for you, and you feel totally comfortable. When you don't have your kicker situation figured out, it's like one of those anxiety things that kind of creeps up on you. It's like, what are we going to do at kicker? It's like, are, are we going to get it figured out? Because going into a season with competition at kicker and, and you ha- don't have that, figured out it's one of the only positions on the entire team that you don't have figured out until maybe the last preseason game yeah one of the things that i think everyone forgets is that um the seahawks didn't draft haushka they didn't sign him as a free agent they never brought him in you know for a training camp or anything they had olinda mare and I don't remember who was in camp with him that year. Two, they had two guys that were competing th- all throughout camp, and they got through the fourth preseason game, and then they cut both of them. And they went like three days without a kicker on the roster and then signed Hauschka, who had been cut by Denver. Um, wow, that's crazy. And, <laughs> and, and, and literally, like they added him just before uh, the first game. And I think that you kind of look at there are – there are a lot of options. There will be good players, good kickers that are available. Even if they aren't now, they'll be cut because teams have, every team's got, you know, two in camp. So I, I just don't think the Seahawks are stressing about it because they'll look around and they'll f- make sure they've got one that they trust go come week one. And if the, if that player fails and, you know, misses a bunch of kicks, well, they'll move on. So I think, it's weird to say because I, I really liked Hashka and I wish they'd kept him, but I think they're going to be end up being okay. It'll just we won't know what it'll look like until we get there. I think I think so too, and and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Blair Walsh emerges because, you know, here's a team in the Seattle Seahawks that took full advantage of Blair Walsh when he missed that kick in Minnesota, and and we moved on in the playoffs, and they went home, and he sulked off the field, and here's the Seattle Seahawks is the very next team to give that guy a shot. I think speaks volumes to Pete Carroll and his thought process about his belief in people, in players, in redemption. Um, And I I don't know. I mean, there's just something about that deal where they've looked at him, they've talked to him, they understand what he's all about, and they brought him in. And, you know, I think that, that holds weight with me. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting uh, interesting way of thinking about it because yeah, there, when he got cut by Minnesota last year, there nobody really wanted to touch him, and you know the team that broke him uh, is the team that came in and and is giving him that chance to rebuild his confidence and and, and rebuild his career. So that's 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 a, an interesting an interesting yeah. storyline. So I like yeah. that. No, I think I think when it emerges, you know, in, in uh, throughout training camp stuff, it, it'll be one to watch. So let's move away from the offense and go to the defense. And let's talk about linebackers for a minute because the There's Seahawks a bunch made, of them. Yeah, Seahawks made a bunch of moves. Why don't we go through the list? Um, let's start with let's start with Arthur Brown. What's um, I know that you know he's been kind of an inside guy. I think they want to keep him inside. What are your thoughts on Arthur Brown? Well, he was a guy who was very well regarded coming out of the draft and and the the draft media really liked him and he just never lived up to any of that promise. And this is the type second round guy. Yeah. This is the right. type of guy that the Seahawks love to get. He's athletic, he's long, he can run, um and he needs well, he I mean he can help on special teams, but he, what he really needs is just to learn a scheme and learn how to be disciplined within the scheme. And uh, I'm hoping that he had a little bit of a Christine Michael like awakening. The fact that he was cut and available Mm -hmm. and the Seahawks signed him for practically nothing. It does seem like Uh, a maturity issue with mm -hmm. him so far. And so maybe being on a team, a veteran team, 
a top defense in the NFL will you know provide that little extra oomph and motivation and and sitting behind um you know an all pro doesn't yeah. hurt yeah he, he's got bobby wagner to learn from and and anyone who can learn from bobby wagner is uh going to be lucky because he's not going to he's not going to be asked to play um and, and you know step in and, and play right away but he'll be given a chance to to sit and learn and practice and and that kind of stuff i actually wouldn't be shocked to see him um move over to the Sam linebacker spot because he's got the the range to do that but at the same time I I'm not sure the team wants him working at two positions and you know trying to learn all the gap responsibilities at two positions so we'll see well, they, I mean just this physically I think that that Brown could do it but we'll see what what they what the team finally does in training camp well both Schneider and Carroll indicated on all three of their guys that they brought in we'll talk about the other two in a second that they that they were scheme diverse that they could move around a little bit but I they did point to Arthur Brown kind of sticking in the middle and I think they they envision him as being a coil kind of a replacement unless something better comes along in the draft and he could be a guy too that doesn't emerge at the end of camp I mean so we really don't know a lot about Arthur Brown mm-hmm. which Arthur Brown is going to show up so it's interesting that he's the a Brock Coil replacement when uh, Coil was a guy who is not particularly athletic, but he just he's got that high motor, plays hard, plays smart. But yes. he's, not, he's he's not an athletic guy. Where Brown is a very athletic guy who, you know, doesn't have a lot of um, gap discipline and right. does, doesn't necessarily play smart, uh, but he's very athletic. So they're kind of opposite players. Well, I think the whole offseason on the defense really points to an attitude shift that I think the Seahawks are really trying to accomplish, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more in a second. So the other guy that they brought in I'm kind of excited about is um, like a five-year vet uh, recently with uh, San Francisco, Michael uh, Wilhoit, and it looks like he will be um, – they, they would like him to look at, at the middle linebacker position as well. But he does have diversity as far as being able to play on the outside as well. Yeah, right now I would pencil him in as the starting Sam uh, linebacker, so the strong side linebacker, the one that uh, Bruce Irvin manned two years ago, and um, they had five different guys playing that's in that role last year. Um, I would pencil him in there. He was the starting inside linebacker uh, for San Francisco, and they played a three-four. So uh, it's a it's a different alignment uh but he was the you mm-hmm. know he was a starter for the the 49ers last year and now he's coming up here to be a backup but i i think that he'll get on the field in that uh in that sam linebacker role which means he'll play 25 30 percent of the snaps um and he's a he's he's big he's quick um he's not overly physical but he's he plays smart uh, and i think that's gonna gonna be what the seahawks need because uh, that's what they got it. That's what they had in Mike Morgan was they had a guy who wasn't necessarily the the most talented individual, but he played very smart. He didn't give up the edge and and you know was a, was really good at at just making sure that he did his job. And I think that's what they're going to get with uh, Will Holt, except for that I think he'll be a little more athletic, a little more rangy. So he'll be a little bit of an upgrade there, in my opinion. I like that pickup. And the last one, it's Terrence Garvin. I don't know much about him, but I do know that we picked him up for depth and uh, special teams play. And all, all those guys we mentioned are probably going to be asked to be kind of special teams contributors as well. Because um, I think the Seahawks wanted to get more physical. They wanted to get um, you know, have a little bit more attitude. I think that was definitely missing this mm-hmm. last year. Um, and and I, they brought it back in spades again this year. And in addition to him, um, when you move away from the, the linebackers and you look at safety, we brought in Bradley Mc, uh, McDougald, I think is how you pronounce his last name. I thought it was McDougald, but yeah. McDougald, <laughs> 91, 91 tackles in 2016, uh, kind of a two-year starter in Tampa Bay. Uh, Scheme-diverse guy that can play strong and free safety as well as possibly some nickel. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about... Bradley. Well, well, it's I have I, I I struggle with him a little bit because I look at this tape and I see uh, I see a guy who isn't uh, I didn't see as an upgrade over Kelsey McCray, who's the guy he's replacing. Um, 
as that scheme diverse, can play strong, and free safety. The C- he's more of a free safety, whereas McRae was more of a strong safety, but they both can play both. Um, he doesn't play the run as well as you'd like for someone in that role, but he, you know, again, it's not bad. He's quick, he's fast, he's, he's rangy, he's not a He's not a um, Earl Thomas replacement, but nobody is an Earl Thomas replacement. Uh, but he's more so than uh, Stephen Terrell, so he's an upgrade there. The CX are talking about using him in the nickel and playing with a, you know, a third a third safety. It's kind of the same thing that they talked about last summer with McCray and last summer with um, Brandon Browner. Then they never did that with either one of them. They never have played that bandit uh, formation with three safeties. So so what do you what do you think the Seahawks are trying to do with snap count? Um, do you think with a guy like that, um, they're trying to take away some of Jeremy Lane's snaps a little bit or at least throw some competition in there on the on the slot? Yeah. I, uh... and, and, and also, obviously, giving um, Earl... And Chancellor, you know, some plays off now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what they're going to end up doing with with McDougald is to it, it is going to be a little bit of of a lane um, issue, but it's more of a if what happens if we lose a cornerback because they're really thin at corner right now, and so Lane becomes a starter opposite Sherman, uh, you know, or they you know just don't get the starter that they really want in the draft. Uh, into you know, so I think it's more of a, a hedge on that. So okay, we can go to this three safety formation. Uh, Pete Carroll said he's not really looking at McDougald as a corner. So when they use him in the nickel, it'll be that bandit formation with three safeties. Not yes, yes. not having him be. Is this isn't a. Um, uh, Tyron Matthew type player where he can cover in the in the slot at like a corner or play a safety uh, and just so you as take well, out that so. strong you take out that strong linebacker yeah you and take you it, replace him with the safety with the safety so you get a player with a little more range a little better coverage ability uh, you know you give up a little bit against the run but why you, are teams going to this sort of formation well just because. It used to be that teams ran shotgun about 30% of their plays, and now they're running about 75. And so you... So it's all about stopping the quarterback, really. Yeah. And so, you you know, when the quarterback sets up in the shotgun, they have they can make quicker reads. They can, uh, you know, get the ball out of their hands really fast. There's It doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to run the ball, but you're also seeing... Okay, if it, with the quarterback and the shotgun, we don't need that tight end blocking, uh, or we don't need to keep that um, that halfback in there uh, blocking because we know the quarterback can get the ball out quickly, even if there's a blitz. And so, it, it's just a matter of you want that extra speed, that extra uh, coverage ability to try and slow those plays down. And I really think that that that's what you're seeing. You're seeing it league wide. There's there's no team that that's uh, lagging behind on this uh, considerably, like every team shifting to where the nickel is the new base uh, formation, and so now you're going to start seeing some variations of the nickel, whether it be uh, a three-three-five or you know three down linemen, three linebackers, and then the, you know the five defensive backs, or you're going to see what the Seahawks are, are talking about. They talked about last year, and they're talking about again now, which is you know the standard uh, four-two-five nickel, but with three safeties instead of three cornerbacks. So you're going to see some variations as defensive coordinators start to get a little more creative and start trying to come up with some different things, making it harder on the quarterbacks. Awesome. That's a great explanation. Because I've, you know, I've often wondered, you know, especially if they've really got a player at a, at a strong linebacker that needs to be on the field. I mean, so that their schemes just kind of can be flexible depending on their opponent their you know the time of the game um all that kind of stuff so i would imagine they'd still be looking for a player at at linebacker maybe in the draft that would be an athlete yeah especially if they could bring in someone in who's similarly talented to what bruce Irvin brought where he could play that linebacker spot uh when they were in there when they're in their base four three but when they go to the nickel which they do a lot he can come up and be a pass rusher at least 
part of the time. So rather than just being in there for the 30% of snaps where they're in the base, he can also play like another 30% of the snaps when they're in the nickel total. So you end up with someone who's on the field for at least 60% of the time, which uh, you know makes that player more valuable. It makes that draft position uh, that you need in order to get that kind of player more palatable because you don't want to spend a high draft pick on a guy who's only going to play 30% of your snaps. It's just not that's, worth it. That's right. That's right. Well, that's definitely something to watch for. So one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about in free agency was the, the contracts, actually. It, it struck me as being one of the, those free agencies where we signed a bunch of guys to one-year deals. And I, w- I want to talk about what that means for the team, why the team wanted that sort of flexibility, or maybe the market just dictated that they only brought guys in for one year, sort of prove it deals, how it might correlate to them either staying or moving on the following year and what that might mean for compensatory type situation. Can you talk about that? Well, I actually, I really like it because by having it be a one year deal, you're, that means that you're not out there spending the big money on the, high-priced free agents that can or it can hamstring the team if it doesn't work out for a couple of years it means you're in that second round of um of free agency where you know these are aren't necessarily starters or they're they're guys that you think can compete they're usually younger guys that are betting on themselves they're like okay let me come in and play for one year and if i i do well if i earn a starting spot or somebody gets hurt and I end up on the field and I play well, then next year I can cash in with a bigger contract. So you end up with players that are motivated. Uh, you end up paying less for them so you can get more of them and really improve your depth. And it also is a situation where, you know, because it's a one-year deal, all of the cap hit is this year. There's nothing there's nothing pushed out um, over multiple years, you know, because of the signing bonus would would be spread out over all the years of the contract. So if they were to sign like uh, Jokel to a three-year contract, uh, that whatever signing bonus he got would have been spread out over all those three years. So if he didn't work out, if he comes in and his knee just isn't what they need it to be and he doesn't work out and they cut him after this year, well, then they have this big chunk of dead money on the cap next year. So it ends up hurting them in the future. Uh, it, you know, if any of these these contracts don't work, and so by having the one year deal, it's all this year, no matter what, and they don't have to worry about it. Um, and then the other part in in all of that is, if a player like let's say Jokel comes in, starts at left tackle, plays well, prices himself out of where the Seahawks are able to um, to get him and re-sign him because he, he played well enough that he's going to go get a big deal and Seattle doesn't have the cap room or isn't willing to go to that number. Well, then he's leaving as a free agent with an expired contract. And then you get that uh, compensatory draft pick coming back next year. Um, and so it, it, it opened, it, it basically, it provides a little bit of uh, insurance. So if, if a person does do well and then leave, you get something back in return where if you, sign them for a two or three year deal and you have to cut them after one year. Well, since you cut them, they're not eligible for that comp pick. So it's just a, yeah. a different, it, it's a different way of thinking of it that way. I've not, I've not seen Schneider work so many deals and hedge so many bets. I mean, he's literally got a hedge for, for almost every situation in this off season. You look at left tackle, um, he's hedging, hedging against Fant, um, not, taking that really big step uh, that that's needed this year, um, which, and, and they've indicated that they're going to allow him to compete. I mean, he's been uh, in the off season uh, program. They're going to give him a chance mm-hmm. to show where he's at, but if he didn't make that leap, they've got uh Jokel. You've got Eddie Lacey. It's a hedge against Thomas Rawls um, injury. And CJ Procise and CJ Procise as well, although they're they're different players. Mm-hmm. But now you've got three, maybe four guys in that mix that are going to compete in there. Um, Eddie Lacy again on a one year deal. Um, Abouche, same thing. It's kind of a come on in, prove yourself, um, add some competition. Um, Bradley uh, McDougal on the defense. Blair Walsh one year deal. A couple of the other linebackers, you know, small deals, one-year deals. Wilson's re-signed for a one-year deal. Uh, Arthur Brown, same sort of prove-it thing. Shed, 
re-signed for one year, um, one year deal. So, you know, we've got a lot of flexibility next year, which gives us an opportunity to re-sign some of the players that we know that we need to re-sign as well and extend. Um, and well, next there, year, I mean, it, we're going to, we're going to have to do the same thing I mean, we're going to lose a lot of players or we're going to resign, you know, a lot of these guys. Yeah. There is one position where they have yet to sign their hedge. Cause that's what these are. Is these are, these are draft hedges. All these players that we're talking about for the most part, uh, with the exception of maybe Jokel and, and Lacey, they're guys where it's, Hey, if, if the draft doesn't fall the way the Seahawks need it to, or, Right. You know, and they don't get the guy. Well, you know, they've got players. They filled the roster, and uh, these aren't just draft body or you know camp bodies that'll come in and and eat reps, but don't have a shot. These are all guys that have a shot to to come in and and make the roster and play. Uh, but they're also guys that the Seahawks wouldn't mind seeing, wouldn't mind cutting because they they drafted a better player, a more talented player. So. Uh, I think right. that so you have all these draft hedges, but there's one position where they haven't done that yet, and I think they need to, and that is um, on you know the defensive line, especially defensive tackle, especially yep. uh, a pass rushing defensive tackle, um, because that's what they desperately needed last year down the stretch and didn't have. They had all these run stoppers, and uh, both of their pass rushers um, had you know been injured and were on um, injured reserve, so. I I still see that coming. That's like the one thing I see that they have left to do between now and the draft is to get a uh, is to get a pass rushing defensive tackle in. You know, and, but again, it's going to be a draft hedge. This isn't going to be a a guy right. that 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 you're going to sign for a lot and expect to come in and start. He's going to be a guy that that comes in and will fill the role if need be. Do they but, just bring McDonald back? You know, I don't understand why they haven't already done that because he was the guy. He was. He's been the best guy in that role they've had since Pete Carroll uh, has been here, and I, I've kind of just expected it to happen. I don't know why it's not. If there's like an injury that that I am un, I un, that I don't know about, that he's just you know they're kind of waiting for that to heal and you know that kind of stuff, so he can check out through uh, his physical. But I just don't see why they don't bring him in. He was he fit exactly what the Seahawks. Uh, needed just a couple of years ago. The other position too, that they, they always seem to wait to the last minute or they don't think that you're going to need. And then all of a sudden they need one is fullback. How come they haven't brought Reese back? Honestly, I have no idea. Uh, because he's a guy who came in, he late in the year and was an instant upgrade and played totally. well. And you could just tell he was a good player and someone that they needed. I don't know if he's, asking for more because this is a former pro bowler uh with the raiders so i don't know if he's asking more than the seahawks are um willing to pay for or if they really want to give uh brandon cottom who is a tight end fullback uh hybrid a chance to you know win that role because that's what he, it was his at one point last year and then he tore his achilles it um, does seem like there's so. a couple of positions that the seahawks are constantly stingy at and and fullback is one of them and mm-hmm. that that defensive tackle spot is another one, mm-hmm. which is is it's worked out, but it seems like they wait and wait and wait, and you know maybe it's one of those things that they want to get a young guy out of the draft to be able to kind of take that and and run with it, so they can have a guy for three years on a cheap contract. But it it just doesn't seem like it's been working that way. Yeah, the defensive tackle one seems to be where there's always this. Uh, turnover and there's there's always this searching and they never find the right guy um and it's it's a bit frustrating because that's a spot where they really need someone and it would be nice to just have someone that they can just slot in there and know that they're going to be able to play and get it done the fullback one i think that what they've realized is that you they can they they need to have somebody uh but they, it doesn't matter if it's a, a good someone or not. They just need someone. They need a body capable of doing the job. And that the difference between like a Will Tukuafu, who's a defensive player, uh, who they <laughs> who they played in there for about a year and a half, um, and a pro bowler like uh, Reese just isn't that big of a difference as far as what they um, – how how smoothly and efficiently the offense runs depending on who's there. So I just don't think that they – they look at that and say, "Oh, you know, we really have to make sure that we get this." Like we, they can wait till training camp and and just find someone. And as long as they can play the, as long as they can do the job, 
you know, even if they don't do it, they're not great at it. As long as they can do it, the, the, the offense will be fine. Yeah. Oh, I think we'll figure it out. I think we're actually set up to have a really good offense this year. I mean, our offensive line is going to improve. Even if we kept the same guys and the same guys end up coming back and starting and, and the guys that we brought in will, will you know, be quality backups, which I don't think is going to happen given the fact that they gave Jokel $7 million. But we're going to be better. You know, mm-hmm. those they've got uh, a year under their belt. Uh, Fant, in particular, I think, has got an off-season, the uh, first off-season in um, the Seahawks facility all year, and that's going to pay huge dividends. Affetity, excuse me, Affetti, the same thing. You know, first full off-season in their program, and um, I think we'll see a big improvement there. So... So I think we're going to wrap that as far as the free agency goes. I had one last or a couple last segments I want to work in really quick. We've been kind of holding on to this one for a few weeks is we wanted to do a kind of a player spotlight, player profile each week on a a Seahawk. And this week is Michael Bennett. And um, the Seahawks, uh, I don't know if anybody even remembers, but we extended him. In, uh, right at the very end of December on a uh, uh, three, I think it was a, a three-year deal, right? Mm-hmm. 28, yes. $28 million extension, $16 million guaranteed. So he's going to be in the fold now for a while. He does turn 32 in December, but he's he's paid huge dividends for the Seahawks. I would argue he's definitely the probably the defensive face of the franchise um, other than maybe Richard Sherman, you know, in a good or bad way. <laughs> but uh, Bennett's, Bennett's definitely been a, a quality player since he arrived on a kind of a prove-it deal um, a while ago. Do you want to talk well, about I, what he means to the team? What people don't seem to realize is just how much of an impact he makes that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. I mean, his stats... Are, are good. I mean, last year, because he was hurt and missed a bunch of time, he didn't have a lot of sacks, but uh, on, a, on, a, on a per game basis, his stats were still pretty good. But he impacts uh, he impacts the game more so than his stats would indicate because of his ability to pass rush from the inside, to pass rush from the outside. He is one of the top 4-3 uh, defensive ends at, uh, defending the run in the NFL. Uh and he just he does he does so much uh, for the team in in every way, and he can they can line him up at any of the four spots along the line. Although they try to try to keep him away from you know the nose tackle spot because that's just guaranteeing that he gets double teamed uh, with the center there. But they can line him up anywhere and let him rush the passer, and he does a lot. And he tends to push guys or push the quarterbacks into sacks by other people. And so you look at a lot of the sacks that Cliff Averill gets. And they're because they're running away from Michael Bennett and they run right into Cliff Averill. And um, right. so he, he he's one of those players that just makes everybody around him better. And, and this just, is a perfect it, and he's a perfect Seahawks story. Oh, yeah. I mean, a guy that we originally drafted or didn't draft. Actually, no. he came as an undrafted free agent mm-hmm. in 2009. Right. Yep. He makes it he makes it through camp, but then gets cut in October and here's a here's a, a name that you may or may not remember to make room uh, off the practice squad for offensive tackle Kyle Williams. So we made room for uh, Kyle Williams, right? Well, they had and to cut Michael Bennett. It, cut it, Michael it, Bennett, and I knew at that moment I knew that we were going to regret that because Michael Bennett had a great training camp and oh, you know, he it looked, looked like he was going to be a player. He looked outstanding, and it was it was funny because. Um, do you remember who the uh, defensive line coach was that year? It was Dan Quinn, who is be- eventually became Seattle's defensive coordinator uh, after right. leaving to go to Miami, and then he came back, um, and now he's the head coach of uh, uh, in Atlanta. But he was Seattle's uh, defensive line coach when they when they they signed Michael Bennett. It was like he's not fast enough to get around the corner. He'll never be a pass rusher. And Quinn was like, no, you need to, we're going to move you in. You're going to be a defensive tackle and we're going to take advantage of that super quick first step and you're going to create havoc. And Bennett was like, I don't really want to do that. But he's like, 
I was an undrafted free agent. I'm not going to say no because I want <laughs> right. I want to play football. So he went ahead and did it, and it was it was like so he was still kind of learning how, how to use his hands and how to deal with guards and, and you know instead of trying to rush around the corner. And so the first couple of preseason games, you could you did, he would flash and then kind of just disappear. And then the last couple, he was like, "Whoa, this this kid can play!" And it was no surprise that he made the team, uh, but they didn't really have a role for him because he was far enough down on the depth chart that he wasn't going to get in games. And they had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line. They had to cut someone to bring someone up so they could actually. Uh, you know, have a full offensive line. And he was just the guy who got cut and he went to Tampa and lo and behold, he looked really good in Tampa. Like everybody well, knew. Well, in his last, last year there, he had uh, 41 tackles and nine sacks, three yeah. forced fumbles, and they let him go. Why, why would they do that? Um, I mean, I, obviously a different reason than we let him go. Do they, they just not want to pay him? They just didn't want to pay him. It was one of those things where, so he was still a defensive end who didn't have uh, a lot of speed to get around the corners. This isn't like he's not like a Cliff Averill type, and that's what kind of teams were looking at. And they, people were saying, oh, well, he's really good at defending the run, uh, but we want our defensive ends in a, in a 4-3 to be good at rushing the passer. And so, so consequently, he, he came to Seattle and signed like a $5 million prove-it deal. Yeah, it was a one- In the same year that Averill came. Yep, it was a one-year deal. Um it was a prove it deal, and he came back here. And the Seahawks go, well, guess what? You're gonna play defensive end, and you're gonna play defensive tackle, and we're gonna have you rush from the inside. And it was just, it was phenomenal how well he played. And so it became one of those things where he played so well that Seattle actually changed their defensive scheme. They still, they're still doing the cover three stuff in the back end. But if you think about when Pete Carroll first came here, all the talk was about, you know, Red Bryant was the one def- was the strong side defensive end, right. and they were right. two gapping, and they had uh, Chris Clemens on the other end, who they called the Leo, which means he's at the nine tech, which means he's he's starting lining up way outside and just sprinting around the edge, and that was the scheme. And you know, uh, Bennett came in, and they go, well, you know, we can get what we need for the, in terms of the run defense without having that 330-pound, uh, two-gap uh, defensive tackle uh, at defensive end. We can get that with, out of Bennett and have pass rushing, which allows us to move the other side um, in from the 9-tech the into the 7-tech, which creates more balance against the run. And they were still as productive. And so that's why you saw after the Super Bowl year, um, in 2013 that, that both uh, Bryant and Clemens were cut was because they were, the Seahawks were shifting to a defensive scheme up front that didn't, they didn't need those guys anymore. They needed Bennett and Avril. I mean, that, the, the, everything right. was, was built around a different kind of player. And most of that came from uh, Michael Bennett because you had to have somebody who could do what he did in order to make the scheme work without you know that that um, the Leo and Elephant uh, roles. So, and, and that's what um, that's what Michael Bennett brought. And that's also why you've seen the Seahawks try and draft similar players. I mean, that's what Frank Clark is. Frank Clark is is Michael Bennett Jr. And because they recognize that this their scheme up front only works with Michael Bennett. And you know what happened when Michael Bennett got hurt? Well, it was a good thing they had drafted Frank Clark and that they had, you know, gone through all of the trouble of dealing with the PR and that kind of stuff because they had to have that guy to make the scheme work. So, uh, yeah, and that that just goes to show you how important Bennett is that they. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's and it's surprising to me that they were in, in all three contracts that he's gotten with the Seahawks have been favorable to the Seahawks. Yeah, absolutely, they have, and. Um, he keeps talking about, you know, he, he needs to get, he, he wants to get paid and he wants to get a fair market value. And then he ends up signing a deal with Seattle, which is really in Seattle's favor. Uh, so whatever, you know, but, but yeah, exactly. But the, you know, I think the guy is a perfect fit for Seattle. I mean, not only just the team, but the city and the fans love him. And he, he takes police officers bikes and rides them around stadiums and they don't arrest him. And, you know, confetti falls on him, and you know he just is like Mr. Seahawk. Yeah, he's also he's he's 
his press conferences are are funny. I mean, he's just he's just a really good dude, and uh, he, he's a good football player. But he's also a good dude. And you look at the you know the charity work and stuff that he does. He's great for the for the town for the community, and and he is definitely you know a favorite favorite player here in Seattle. And it looks like he's going to be around for at least another two or three years. Yeah. So, do we have any mail today? We, you know what? Let's save it for the other ep- the other episode that we're gonna gonna do. We're gonna kind of switch over and do episode five, and we'll save that one for episode five. Okay. Awesome. It, so it's good to be back. I'm glad we're back in the swing of it. Um, get Are back you, to our weekly schedule. Glad to be back in the rain. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm inside <laughs> right now. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Eventually, you know, but later today, though, I, I get to do something fun and I'm not going to admit it to my wife, but I'll admit it to you. I get to go look at puppies because my uh, my wife is procuring a what is called a Bernie doodle, a cross between a Burmese mountain dog and a poodle. And these things are just the cutest thing. And they're four weeks old today and we get one at like eight or nine weeks and we get to go look at them for the first time today. So I'm secretly excited about that because, you know, puppies. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you, you, you can't go wrong with puppies. It's just, it's just the way it works. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, it was great to, uh, to get back at it. Uh, we'll be back at it next week again with some kind of uh, a news-oriented show where we talk about um, some things that are happening um, in the background, um, some distractions and uh, other things that are going on will also kind of um, gear up towards the draft, which is coming up in less than four weeks now. So I know. We'll, we'll probably have two or three shows leading up to the draft um, that, that go a little bit more into depth as to uh, general players available that might be there for Seattle, um, what players might look good in, in scheme fit for Seattle and so forth. So... And then anything that that uh, Keith might have up his sleeve that he hasn't told me about yet. So I'm always <laughs> I'm always good for surprises. Exactly. All right. So we'll see you next time, Keith. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and TwelfthManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. <laughs>